Okay, um, we're going to talk about some effects that are basically wave effects that happen in any type of uh, situation where you have waves, uh, certainly any situation where you have waves that obey the superposition principle, which is basically all the, the waves you're going to encounter as an undergraduate. Um, we're going to look at them in terms of sound. Sound, I mentioned last time, is a type of wave. And what's nice about it is we have the ability to perceive things that are going on with the sound wave, so we can relate some of these phenomena to things that experiences we're familiar with. So, so those things today are going to be uh, interference of sound waves and the Doppler shift. Um, you'll see a lot of this again, certainly in physics 52 when you do light. Um, you'll see some of it perhaps in 51 with electricity and magnetism. Uh, you can ignore these. These are, sorry. Those announcements are not accurate. That's from two years ago, the last time I taught this class. I try to edit my slides each time. I obviously missed that. Um, okay, so sound waves obey the principle of superposition. Someone remind me what the principle of superposition is? Sean? What is the super? It, it tells me what happens when I have two waves. So when the two waves will sort of pass over each other, principle of superposition tells me what the response will be, what will happen when they pass over each other. Yeah, so they pass through each other. They don't collide, they don't bounce off of each other. They're able to pass right through each other. And at the point where they pass, how do I find, in the case of sound, how do I find the maximum pressure or the, the in the case of a water wave, the amplitude of the water wave? If I know the height that I would have from either wave independently, what happens when they just add them together? Yeah, so that may seem obvious. Maybe it doesn't. But that's what this principle of superposition tells us. So it works with sound waves as well. And it turns out that uh, this is a really important phenomena for a lot of the things we do with sound. We listen to sound. A lot of the sound we listen to comes from a pair of speakers, right? or maybe six speakers or seven speakers or some sort of surround sound system. If you consider just uh, a pair of stereo speakers, if one is closer to you than the other, and they're both producing the same sound at the same time, then the signal from one speaker will get to you before the signal from the other speaker. Now, if they're broadcasting a particular frequency such that this difference in distance, this path length difference, is some integer number of wavelengths, then what's going to happen is when this speaker makes a sound, and let's follow, for example, the, the, the crest of a wave. So let's let these blue lines represent the, the peak of a wave or the crest of a wave. And as it propagates, if it, take, if it travels one full wavelength before it gets to the point where this speaker was, then this speaker will 
be producing the next crest at the same time that this previous crest passes by. And we'll have two crests overlapping, so a maximum in the pressure coming from one speaker and a maximum in pressure coming from the other speaker. So what's that going to do? Be louder, quieter? How many? Yeah, be louder. Okay. Spare the show of hands. It'll be louder. Right? And so we call that constructive interference. Anytime we have more than one wave adding up together, we call that interference. Waves don't collide. We say they interfere. And so when they add up in phase, and in phase means the crests of one overlapping with the crests of the other, we say it's constructive interference. And so this wave crest will propagate along at the same rate that this one will. And so if my listener is over here, when those wave fronts get to the listener, they're going to be in phase. And the crests will be twice as large. And then the, the valleys, or the rarefactions in the pressure, will be twice as large as well. So the amplitude of the wave that's heard at this point will be twice that from either speaker. Okay, so again, that may seem trivial, but it's not the case if the distance between the speakers is not an integer number of wavelengths. So let's consider the case where the distance between the speakers, or more precisely, the difference in the distance from the listener to the first speaker and the listener to the second speaker is a half a wavelength. Okay, if it's half a wavelength, then when this one is producing a crest, this one is also producing a crest. But by the time that crest gets over here, this one's producing a trough in the wave or a, a valley. So the peaks in the sound from this speaker are going to overlap with the, the valleys from that speaker. And what do you think is going to happen when I have an increase in pressure from this speaker combining with a decrease in pressure from that speaker? They will cancel out, either totally or partially. Okay? We call that destructive interference. So this speaker is acting to increase the pressure at this point, while this speaker is acting to decrease the pressure. And if they both are producing the exact same uh, amplitude waves, those will cancel out and there will be no change in the pressure. And likewise over here, where this one has a valley, this one has a peak in its wave. And so those will cancel out as well. And at every point along here, they will cancel out. Okay. Uh, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. We've got uh, two speakers right here. I've got my computer plugged into uh, the sound today instead of my microphone. So if you're in the back and you can't hear me as well, that's why. The reason is because we're going to do this, this demonstration. Okay, so two or three slides from now. Okay, so this is called destructive interference. This is called constructive interference. Of course, you may have some interference condition that doesn't meet either of these. So you might have a distance between the speakers that's not a half a wavelength. It's not a full wavelength. It's some value in between. You get what we call either partially constructive interference or partially destructive. Um, but sort of these two extremes we call destructive and constructive. So how many people are familiar with the dead spot on the couch phenomenon? Okay. So you buy an expensive sound system. You've got your DVD player, your surround sound system. And then you set it up in your house. 
but it turns out that your couch isn't perfectly centered on the, the TV or on the speakers. And as a result, you end up with uh, one spot on the couch that is nicely centered between the speakers. If you're perfectly centered between the speakers, what's the path length difference from you to one speaker versus you to the other speaker? Zero. And if it's zero, that's always an integer number of wavelengths difference for any wavelength. Right? How many integers? So what is that integer? One wavelength difference, two wavelength difference, zero wavelength difference, zero, right. So if you're right here, you'll always hear constructive interference from the two speakers, assuming that they're, they're wired in phase. Um, so that's where you want to be. Uh, if you're sitting over here, then you're closer to one speaker than you are to the other. Okay, how much closer depends exactly on where you're sitting. And so there will be some, some distance that you are closer to one speaker than the other. And for some wavelengths, that difference will be an integer number of wavelengths, and you'll hear constructive interference. But for other wavelengths, meaning other frequencies of the sound, it will be destructive interference. So some frequencies you will hear more loudly than others. And so the sound won't be as re reproduced uh, as well as it should be because of where you're sitting. So let's calculate what would happen if we sit in the corner of this couch. What frequencies would we be unable to hear? Okay, so the geometry is as shown. The corner of the couch means uh, we're lined up with this speaker, three meters away from the speaker, and this one is two meters over at a right angle. So we need to draw a diagram um, to work out the geometry. Let's draw a top view. Here's our speakers. Here's our listener. I'll just call, put a dot there. And let me work out these distances. I'll call this one x2. This is speaker 2 and this is speaker 1. x2 will be the, now let me call it r2, the distance to speaker 2. And what is it in this problem? Three meters. This distance I'll call r1, the distance to speaker 1. And let me figure out what that is. Okay, square root of 13? Yeah, I think that's what it works out to be. So it's a right triangle, hypotenuse of the right triangle. I'll work it out for the sake of clarity. So it's the square root of 13 meters. So you could plug that into your calculator and get a number. Um, That number is about 3.6 meters. Okay, so the path length difference between the two speakers, or between the listener and the speakers, 
I'll call delta r. I don't really care which speaker is closer right now. I just want to figure out the difference in the lengths. So I'll put these absolute values here. And that's going to be 3.6 meters minus 3 meters. Zero point six meters. Okay, so given that I have a path length difference, there will be certain wavelengths that interfere constructively over this point six meters, and other ones that interfere destructively. Okay, so let me write out what the condition is for constructive interference and destructive interference. For constructive interference. What should that path length difference be equal to? So zero works, or there are other values that will be constructive interference. So one lambda. Yeah, okay, so. So we could just write this, some integer number of wavelengths. Okay, so n is an integer any integer. That's for constructive interference. Um, the question's asking me, what frequencies will I be unable to hear? So do I want to find out the frequencies where there's constructive interference? I want to find where there's destructive interference. Okay, so for destructive interference, What does that path length difference have to equal? Half a wavelength. Are there any other values? Three halves. Yeah, so the diagram I showed had the example where it was a. So we could write it like. There's different ways to write it. I'll write it as half a wavelength, path length difference. That was what was shown in the diagram. right? But if there's another full integer number of wavelengths between them, then in that distance, the waves will just cycle through an integer number of cycles and return to in being in phase. Well, it need for completely destructive interference. We need the sound coming from one speaker. To be completely out of phase with the sound coming from the other speaker. So that happens when there's one wavelength, two wavelengths, three wavelengths here. Here is one wavelength, two wavelengths. What I want to draw is three and a half wavelengths. 
And if I do that, these two waves will be equal and opposite. Okay, when one is increasing, the other one will be decreasing, and vice versa. Right. So if it's not, if it doesn't meet this condition or this condition, then if it's closer to this, the two sounds will be adding up to give me a bigger sound that's not quite twice as big. I'm using the term big very, very generically here. The amplitude isn't isn't exactly twice the amplitude of a single source. And if it's closer to this, the two speakers will cancel to some extent. There will be some residual sound that's quieter or smaller amplitude than either speaker individually, but not necessarily zero. Okay, and we're not going to deal with um, partial interference in Physics 50. Okay, it exists. We're just going to look at these two extreme cases. Okay, so this is the condition that needs to be met for destructive interference. And the question is asking what frequencies will I be unable to hear? And this is telling me um, if I set this equal to 0.6 meters, which comes from the geometry of the problem, then I could solve for all the different values of n, n equals 0, n equals 1, n equals 2, I could find the wavelengths that I'm unable to hear. And if I know the wavelengths, I can find frequencies. Frequency is equal to V over lambda. So the nth frequency that I can't hear is equal to V over the nth wavelength that I can't hear. And I can say that 1 half lambda, the nth wavelength that I can't hear, is given by this expression. So I just need to solve for lambda n. plug that in over here to get an expression for the frequencies that I can't hear. So the speed of sound in air, anybody recall? Maybe somebody who had lab today. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just call it 340 meters per second. I can check the units. The meters are going to cancel, leaving me units of 1 over seconds, which is hertz. That's the unit of frequency. And I can now make a table. of various frequencies. And I can plug in n equals 0. And that gives me 340 over 
288 hertz. And plug in n equals 1 and evaluate, I get 849 hertz. I'm going to do this for a few values. Um, 2 is 1.415 kilohertz. So there's an infinite number. I can plug in any value for n. If I wanted to, to fill out this table, how far would I have to go? I mean, how, how high a frequency matters? Does anyone know? What's the highest frequency we can hear? It's about 20 kilohertz. Right, so I could plug in up to n equals whatever that's going to be, about 15 or so. And beyond that, the frequencies are irrelevant. They're outside of the audio frequency range. I wouldn't be able to hear them. So we tend to be able to hear sounds as low as about uh, 20 hertz, and as high as about 20 kilohertz, roughly. Okay, you can, what it means to hear a sound at 20 hertz is a little bit subjective, because as the frequencies get lower and lower, you start to feel them. You feel the vibrations with your whole body, not just with your eardrums. Okay, so generally, vibrations below about 20 hertz, we don't consider s sound. We can just consider them vibrations that we can feel shaking. And so if you have a, a car with a big subwoofer, you, know, you, you probably realize you can feel it as well as hear it. Okay, so there's a number of frequencies we can't hear. So obviously that's going to distort the sound. It's not going to sound the way it was intended. Okay, so we can do a demo. And uh, this is what's in your notes, but I'm going to skip over this because this is not what we have in reality. It used to be that this room did not have speakers in it, so I used to have to bring in speakers. But today, we have speakers. So I went in and graphed the interference pattern that we should see in this room. Let me show you what I've done. I recorded the position, or approximated the position in X and Y of these speakers. So I have speaker one and speaker two. So I'm calling uh, this speaker one. And I did this on the bus. I actually didn't have access to the room when I was doing it, so I was just trying to remember. I don't think I got it quite right. But I said this was at x equals 0 and y equals minus 0.5. So I'm considering that far corner of the room, 0, 0. I'm saying in the y direction, it's about half a meter down. And then this one I said was about uh, 2.6 meters this way at y equals 0. Okay, so clearly those values are a little off. But um, anyhow, that's what I typed in. Okay, I can improve it. This is about 2 meters. This one, probably pretty close. Let me, let me go ahead and fix that. That will change this diagram. 
also changes the color. But um, so we can ignore the change for the moment. So I've got a speaker here and a speaker there. And I've got speed of sound is 344 meters per second. And I'm considering a frequency of 500 hertz. So the wavelength is the speed divided by the frequency. So that's calculated by the program. And then Z1 and Z2 are the distance from any point in the room. Say I pick a point here. And I'm calculating the distance to each speaker. So the distance to speaker 1 comes from the position in the room minus the position of speaker 1. And I do that in x and y, and I take the square root to find, uh, just like we did over here, the distance to speaker 1. And I do the same thing for those should be twos. Oh, yeah. So here's the distance to speaker 1. Here's the distance to speaker 2. I've taken the difference between them. That gives me the path length difference. Okay, and I've essentially evaluated that to get the uh, the sign of the interference pattern, whether there will be a minimum or a maximum in the sound that you hear. And that's what's being plotted here. So there are lines, say this line right here, along this line, and what this represents, remember, is this room plotted with the corner over there right here. So this line right here represents this line down the room. If you're sitting on this line, right, you're equal distance to both speakers. So this one, you should hear the same amplitude or the, the constant amplitude for any frequency. Over here, if you sit along this line, you're sitting one wavelength closer okay, for this 500 hertz sound to this speaker than you are to that one. Whereas this line is locations where you're one wavelength closer to this speaker than that speaker. Right? So bottom line is, depending on where you are in the room, you will either hear constructive interference or destructive interference. Okay, so let's do the experiment. Let's play some sound at 500 hertz. And this is actually two, let me skip ahead. My slides are not in the order that I wanted them. Okay, well let's try this one. Both speakers are playing 500 hertz sound. Um, they're out of phase. So when one is pushing forward, the other one is pulling backward. That's what that means. So this isn't exactly the, the uh, demo that I mapped out. But you should hear a constant tone. Now, if you walk around, the pitch of that tone changes. 
not the pitch, but the, the amplitude of that tone changes based on whether you're in a constructive or destructive. So hold on, before you do that, before you walk around, let me make it easier on you. Let me go back to our two kilohertz sound. Okay, and let me ask what changes if I change this frequency to two kilohertz, what's going to change in this pattern? Higher frequency means bigger wavelength or shorter wavelength? Shorter wavelength. So, are these lines going to get further apart or closer together? They're going to get closer together. So, give it a minute to update. Okay, so now the difference between where there's a constructive interference and destructive is roughly the order of the width of your seat. So, now you want it to walk as far, you have to move your head around. If I play a two kilohertz sound. Do you notice it changing? You may find it helpful, especially at the end, to make sure your motion is along the line connecting these speakers. Any component of your motion that's radially outward isn't going to affect your position in that interference pattern. How many people think they heard something? How many people think they didn't hear anything? Okay. Uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of you have no thoughts on wh whether you heard anything or not. I think that's as long as we can annoy the astronomy class across the hall. Okay, so that's an example of spatial interference. Spatial interference means depending on where you are, two waves can add up constructively or destructively. Um, there's also something called temporal interference. Uh, why is my leg hitting the, the light switch? There's temporal interference, which is depending on when you hear the sound, the sounds add up constructively or destructively. We tend to call that beating. Sounds that beat or beat notes. And so an example of this is um, we started with two sounds that had identical frequencies. They're coming from different places. So they could add up constructively or destructively. They could add or cancel. Consider what happens if you have two sound waves maybe coming from the same location, but they're different frequencies. Okay, so one speaker playing two different notes. Um, so let's let this uh, magenta curve represent one frequency sound wave, and this cyan curve represent another frequency. You can see the frequencies are different because they start out of phase, and going from here to here, uh, the magenta curve goes through one, two, three, four, and a quarter waves wavelengths. The cyan goes through one, two, three, three and three-quarter wavelengths. Okay, so they're different wavelengths, they're different frequencies. So this is a plot of 
Well, it says displacement versus time, but this could be pressure versus time if it's a sound wave. So the two different frequencies will drift from being out of phase to being in phase to being out of phase to being in phase to being out of phase as time goes on. And so if you add these up, just due to the superposition principle, at times when they're out of phase, they should cancel. And then when they get in phase, they should add constructively and produce a larger amplitude sound. And then when they drift out of phase again, they should cancel again. And so the sound that we would hear can be described by this bottom plot where it's um, the amplitude is changing in time. Going from no sound to a maximum, to a minimum, to a maximum and back. We call that beating or a beat note. Um, and the, to consider the time, we consider this as a waveform, then the wavelength is given by this, the distance from when it's zero to when it's zero again. And there's a corresponding frequency, or the number of times per second the sound gets louder and quieter. That's called the beat frequency. Okay, so we can do a little math and figure out what the relationship is between the different frequencies and the beat frequency. So let's consider two waves. So these are pressure waves, we'll call them P1 and P2. Uh, they both have the same form, so some amplitude that's the same for both of them. They're both cosine waves, but one is oscillating at a frequency omega 1, the other one at omega 2. So they have different frequencies. If I add up the sound from these two pressure waves, all I have to do, superposition tells me I can just add up the pressure from each wave. So the total pressure is the sum of those two waves. That's what I've written here. I factored out the common P naught. And now I've got cosine of some quantity, let me just call it A for the moment, plus cosine of another quantity, which is different call that B. So I can use my trig relation that says cosine A plus cosine B equals 2 cosine of the average times the cosine of the half the difference of those values. Right, that's something you can look up in your math textbook. It's not something I'd expect you to know off the top of your head, but um, we can use it to replace the sum of these two cosine waves with the product of two, two quantities. So when I say cosine of the average, the average of kx and kx is just kx. The average of minus omega-1t and minus omega-2t is minus the average of omega times t. And then likewise, this term over here, which is cosine of the difference in the arguments over 2, well, the difference between this argument and this argument, the kx's cancel out. If I take this argument minus this, kx's cancel out, so that shouldn't be there. Forget that, that's an error in my slide. And then I have minus omega-1t minus negative omega-2t. Right, so that's um, 
omega 2 minus omega 1 or minus omega 1 minus omega 2. So neglecting that, we have this term, which is our sound wave. It's, got a it's a function of position and time. And then this term here, which should just be a function of time. And we can think of this right here as being a sound wave. And this being an amplitude term that changes as a function of time. So if omega 1 is close to omega 2, then this represents a slow variation. Okay, it takes a long period of time for this argument to increase by 2 pi if this factor is small. Okay, so this is a relatively fast variation. This is the sum of the, the acoustic frequencies, and this is the difference. Okay, so this term represents the rapid oscillations. This term represents the slowly varying envelope. And so we call this frequency here the sum, or the, the average frequency. We just call that the average frequency. That's the frequency that we would, if we were asked what frequency is this, this wave, this is the value we would, we would tend to, to report it as. This frequency, omega 1 minus omega 2, is what we call the beat frequency. And it's how many times per second? Actually, if it's omega, it's how many times per 2 pi seconds this amplitude increases and then decreases. Okay, so here that's written out. So we call that the beat frequency. It's equal to the difference in the two frequencies that we have. I can write it as omega, which is a, an angular frequency, or I can write it as f. I can write the beat frequency is f1 minus f2. That's probably more common. So this is a frequency in terms of how many times per second I hear this beating. This is how many times per 2 pi seconds. Okay, so let's hear an example of this. Let's start with two waves that are about 10% different in frequency. Okay, so we'll do 500 and 550. And listen to see if you hear one sound that's beating or whether you hear two sounds. Would you call that one sound or two? Probably two. Your ear can distinguish two frequencies that differ by 10% with no problem. Okay, so you probably perceive that as two separate sounds rather than some average sound that's beating really fast. So let's make the sounds closer together. Um, this is what, 2% apart? And let's hear what we hear. What we hear. you probably hear is basically a single frequency and it's kind of like wobbling really fast. Okay, and this is just at the threshold of frequencies we can distinguish. So let's consider two frequencies even closer together. 
and are half a hertz apart. These will beep with a beep frequency of half a hertz. Okay, so a half a hertz beep frequency means how many times per second is it going to get louder and quieter? Or how long is it going to take it to get louder and quieter? Won't it be what? So what is the beep frequency between these two sounds? 0.5 hertz. Okay, so we can get that from up here. That means that waveform that looks like this. And this is what I consider one cycle. The period of that is 1 over the beat frequency. Okay, so if the beat frequency is half a hertz, what would be the time it takes the sound to get louder and quieter? Two seconds. We should be able to hear that. Okay, so you hear that? Now, everyone hears something a little bit different because um, those sounds are actually coming out of different speakers. So depending on where you're sitting determines how they add up. Okay, so I'm going to try to convince you that, that those really are two independent sounds. So I'm going to I'm going to find this sound. And play it while I adjust the, uh, the balance on my computer's volume. I'll do this all over here so you can see it. the left speaker. Now let me play the right speaker. Those two should sound about the same, right? And they should have about the same uh, relative volume. And it shouldn't be, you shouldn't hear any fluctuations in that volume. Now let me play both at the same time. hear it come and go? Okay. Um, just for fun, since I've got this set up, let me do the one that was 10 hertz apart. That one was a little bit difficult to, uh, to distinguish between the sounds, but if I play them independently, it may be easier. There's 510, there's 500. 
binary full for them. Right, so you can sort of get a sense of, of what the difference was when the two sounds are, are heard simultaneously. Okay, so let's do an example problem. Um, well, let's first of all point out where this gets used. This, uh, this phenomena of beat frequency is a very, co very commonly used phenomena. Uh, in acoustics, it's used to tune instruments. Right, so how many people play an instrument? Okay, how many people tune their instrument? Okay, so now, I mean, you can buy like a digital instrument tuner. How many people do it by ear? How many people have been to a symphony and heard like a conductor play a particular note and then all the instruments like gradually start playing the same note before they start. Okay, what they're doing is they're tuning their instruments. And the idea is you take something that has a known frequency and that's going to be your reference. So a tuning fork is a good example. Uh, if you take a tuning fork and you hit it, it makes a frequency that's a function of the geometry of the fork. So you can arrange it to be middle C or whatever note that you want to tune to. And then you can play the same note with a, an instrument, and if they're identical, you should just hear that note only louder. But if they differ, what would you hear? You would hear, at first you might hear two separate notes. As you tune your instrument to bring those notes closer and closer together, when they get pretty close, you just start to hear the sound go in and out. Right? That's the beating. And so you try to make the beat note as long as possible and then they're aligned, or they're, they're adjusted to be equal. Okay, so to tune a piano, a tuning fork with a known frequency is compared to the key on the piano that should produce the same frequency. So let's say the tuning fork has a natural frequency of 350 hertz. When you play the piano and the tuning fork, you hear a sound that beats at three hertz. What possible frequencies is the piano playing? So what we want to do is we want to identify um, the terms in our equations with the quantities we're given. Okay, so if we say, for example, F1 is the frequency of the tuning fork, F2 is the frequency of the piano, and FB, that's the beat frequency, that's 3 hertz. then the tuning fork should be at 350 hertz. If the piano differs by that by 3 hertz, that's when we'll hear a beat of 3 hertz. Okay, so the possibilities for the piano frequency are 353 hertz or 347 hertz. So you try tuning it. You have adjust the tension, try adjusting it in one way. If the beat note gets shorter, the frequency gets higher, then you're going the wrong way. Okay, so that's, that's beating. It turns out um, the same phenomena is used, for example, to measure how fast you're driving. The radar gun, police use this. Um, 
It's used to observe the, um, the wavelength emitted by stars relative to ref various references. Um, it can be used to determine things like the age of the star. Um, and in acoustics, you can use it, for example, to determine the uh, precision with which, say, a, a wine glass is manufactured. If you want high-quality wine glasses, then they should all be basically identical. And if you cling one and it makes a sound, you cling another, it should make the same sound. Okay, if they're similar, you'll hear the difference in sound by the beating they produce. And the smaller the beat frequency, the more similar the, the geometry of the glasses are. Okay, so that's one of the two properties of sound we wanted to look at today, was interference. So we had interference patterns and beat frequencies. The other one is the Doppler shift. How many people are familiar with the term Doppler shift? How many people are familiar with Doppler radar on the Weather Channel? Okay, so same thing. Doppler radar is using the Doppler shift of um, radio waves. The Doppler shift we'll talk about today is acoustic. And you see, before we do any of the math, let's do the example. So I've got our fun little sound ball here. I call it the Doppler ball. It's got a buzzer inside of it that will play a, a particular frequency. So I'll play that, and then we play catch. I'll try to keep the buzzer from falling out. So so try to throw it to people as far away from you as possible. And if the ball goes over your head, pay attention to the sound that you hear and how it changes as it passes by you. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that wasn't the change we were looking for. Can you hear a difference? I can't. I'm over here. I can't. It's not going over my head, so I don't notice a difference. So I'll, I'll go. Let me do it for the benefit of the people in the front row. <laughs> and you know, I'll, I'll come around because for the benefit of the people in the back row, I should throw it over your heads once, which you don't get to do if you're doing it yourself. So look out in front. <laughs> you were warned. Okay, so we're not getting beaned by the ball. You should have noticed that as it passes over your head, the pitch of the sound or the frequency of the sound gets different. Higher or lower? Frequency increase or drop when it passed over your head? When it passed over your head and then when it's receding away from you? It should get, it should get lower. When it's going towards you, it should get higher. And then when it goes over your head, it should get lower. I don't know if everyone gave the wrong answer so that we could do this a little more. But we'll, uh, we'll see if we can prove that mathematically. 
And then maybe if we have time, we can do another demonstration. OK, so um, let's consider a listener and a source of sound. Um, in this case, you were the listener, the ball was the source. And let's consider a single frequency being emitted, so a given wavelength. And we'll consider two cases, one where the source is stationary and the listener is moving. And then we'll consider where the listener is stationary and the source is moving. And we'll ask, what happens to the frequency that's heard? So if the source is stationary and it's emitting waves of a particular wavelength, and the speed of sound is such that those waves are moving with a certain speed, then the frequency that you hear is v over lambda. Right, that's probably on the board somewhere. Frequency is v over lambda. Um, if, however, you're a listener moving towards the sound, then the relative velocity of the sound waves gets increased. Right? Relative to you, the sound waves are coming faster than if you were stationary. So we can write the sound that we hear as v over lambda, but for v, we should use the relative velocity which is the speed of sound plus the motion of us relative to the medium, in this case air, that the sound is transmitting in. Okay, So we have some increased relative velocity if we're moving towards the source. And if that increases the relative velocity, we can write, we can write uh, v prime is v pr plus vl. We can write the wavelength, and I put this not here, the wavelength that we hear if everybody's stationary, that wavelength is just, if we solve this, it's v over f. So I can write that lambda naught as v over f, and I can say the frequency that I would hear is v plus vl over v times f. So this fraction in front of the f tells me fractionally how the frequency changes. And if I'm moving towards the source, which is what I've considered here, so my, the sign for the listener's speed is positive, then that frequency should increase. I should hear a higher frequency sound than if I'm stationary. If I'm moving away from the source, what changes in this derivation? It will, and, and, and how do I find that from the math? Chris? So yeah, so VL would change from positive to negative. So positive is when I'm moving towards the source. Negative is if I'm moving away from the source. So if I'm moving away from the source, I have a negative in the numerator, and so the frequency gets a bit smaller. Okay, that's if the source is moving. That was not the case for our little demonstration. You were the I'm sorry, you were the listener. You were not moving. This is for the listener moving. We had the source moving. So we had this. Okay. Uh, consider, neglect the motion of the listener for the moment. Consider the, the listener to be stationary, the source to be moving. Um, because the source is moving, the wavelength gets compressed in one direction and extended in the other direction. Um, we can use the relationship 
that you'll use in lab this week. We can write this expression many ways. Frequency is v over lambda. F lambda equals v. Or we can use the fact that f is 1 over the period to write this as lambda over t is equal to v. Or lambda is equal to vt. OK, so if there's a particular period for the sound. So this source has got a speaker that goes back and forth at a certain rate, a certain number of seconds for every oscillation. The wavelength that will be produced is given by vt. The wavelength is just how far the sound propagates in that length of time. Okay, so if the source is moving to the right, and I'm considering the sound moving to the left, then the relative velocity of sound gets increased. So, v, so whatever the speed of sound is in still air plus the velocity of the source. So I can write t as lambda over v. So t is lambda over v. And I get an expression for the wavelength that I hear in terms of the wavelength in still air. Or I can substitute lambda is uh, v over f, and lambda is v over f naught, and write this as the frequency that I would hear is given by this fraction times the frequency that is heard in uh, if everything is still. So in this case, if the source is moving to the right, and I'm over here to the left, so the source is getting further away from me, the denominator gets bigger. Therefore, the frequency that I hear gets downshifted, gets smaller. When the source is moving away from you, the frequency that you hear gets shifted down. So you should have been able to hear that as the ball passes over your head. Initially, it's coming towards you. It's coming towards you. You'd have to change the sign of this source to be negative. That would make the denominator smaller. It would make the, sh the frequency shift positive. It would make it increase. When I throw the ball at you or over your head, um, you should hear the frequency get higher. And as it passes, it should get lower. Right, so maybe we can try this a little bit more with that newfound knowledge. Adriana, since I pegged you last time, you can start. <laughs> Our ball may not cooperate, but. So obviously, if, when, it gets, uh, when it gets an impulse, something is loose in there and it's changing the frequency. But. Um, you should notice a couple things. The frequency is different when it's stationary and when it's being thrown. Right? So if it's stationary, it's one frequency. When it's coming towards you, it's another. When it passes over your head, it's another. OK. Our, 
our Doppler ball is not cooperating really well. Thank you. Okay, so in general, we might have both of these situations. We might have the source moving and the listener moving. So we can just treat them as if we had sort of two things in series. So if, if the listener moves, then we take the frequency that's being emitted that would, we would hear if nothing were moving. We consider what happens when the listener moves. That frequency gets upshifted by this fraction. And then we consider that frequency being up or down shifted by the source moving. And when we put those both together, we get a total effect that the Doppler shifted frequency is related to the unshifted frequency by this expression. The formula is just something you either have to remember or look up. The trick in using it is interpreting the sign of these feeds. Okay, so if you have a moving object, maybe a moving listener as well, and you're listening to the sound coming from that object, um, you can plug in the speed of the listener and the speed of the source. You also have to make sure to plug in whether the signs are positive or negative. The easiest way to do that is, is to realize that when two objects are getting closer together, the frequency observed by one of those objects emitted from the other gets upshifted. So you, the classic example is listening to a, an ambulance pass by. As it passes by you, the siren pitch decreases. If you can recognize that that's physically what happens, then you can say, well, if the listener and the if the source is, say, moving right to left, the listener is moving right to left, the listener is moving faster than the source. Um, because the listener is moving towards the source, the frequency should get upshifted due to that effect. So this would be positive in the numerator. And if the source is moving away from the listener, then the frequency should get downshifted. So this should be positive in the denominator, right, and vice versa. You have to kind of work out the signs on your own. I mean, there's conventions that you can learn and memorize the signs, but I don't think that's the most effective way to remember this. Okay, so we can do an example. Um, if you've been working on the homework, you may have already come across a couple examples. Let's consider the. Uh, policeman who's driving towards a brick wall. He's got his siren on, and the wall is reflecting the sound. So the police car moves at 30 meters per second to the right. It has a 1 kilohertz siren. What is the beat frequency measured by the cop inside the car produced by interference of the siren heard directly and the echo from a stationary wall? Okay, so here's what's happening. The car is moving. It's got a siren. The cop hears essentially two sirens. He hears two sounds. One of them is the siren echoing off this wall. And the other one is the sound of the siren traveling directly to his ears. 
So if we're told that the siren has a one kilohertz frequency, which of those two is one kilohertz? The, the direct sound or the one reflected? The direct sound, yeah, the direct sound. Um, there's a couple ways to consider this problem. Um, we'll, do, we'll do one of them, but because the sound is reflecting off of this wall, we could, this problem would be the same as if we had another police car over here driving towards this one. And we could ask, what frequency does this car hear from the one kilohertz siren that's moving towards it? Right? That frequency is going to be Doppler shifted. It's going to be Doppler shifted up or down? Up. Why, Hanara? Yeah, so when they're moving closer and closer together, the Doppler shift increases the frequency. So this placement here is two sounds, the direct sound and the upshifted Doppler frequency. So we're asked, uh, we're asked what the beat frequency is. So the beat frequency is just the difference between the two frequencies. Okay, we'll call F1 1 kilohertz. That's the sound that's heard directly. So we just need to figure out F2. What's the Doppler shifted sound heard for the sound echoing off of this wall? Okay, so I mentioned we can either consider the mirror image of this car over here, or I can consider the sound coming to the wall, and then imagine the wall re-emits that same sound, and then the police car hears it. So we can treat it as two steps. I'll do the latter, since that's what's diagrammatic diagrammatically shown. Okay, so first I'll consider a stationary listener right here at the wall. A car moving towards it emitting one kilohertz sound. I'll ask what frequency is heard at the wall. Whatever frequency that is, that must be the sound that gets reflected. And then I have a police car as a listener moving towards this Doppler shifted frequency. That gets Doppler shifted again. Okay, so frequency heard at the wall is related to what I'll call F0, or I'll call it F1, I guess. I already called it F1. The frequency emitted by the siren. But it's Doppler shifted. Is the listener moving or is the source moving? The source, right? So let me recall my expression. And now, it said the source is moving, not the listener. The listener is our stationary wall. The velocity of the source is 30 meters per second. Should that be positive or negative? Positive, okay. If I have a positive value for the source velocity, does that cause the frequency to go up or down? Down. down. Should the frequency go up or down? We said it would go up, right? So what does the sign have to be there? Yeah, it has to be negative, okay? And then V, I will take 340 meters per second as the speed of sound. Okay, so 
frequency basically heard by the wall is found by evaluating this. That works out to about 1.1 kilohertz. So that's what you'd hear if you were at the wall. So 1.1 kilohertz sound comes in, a 1.1 kilohertz sound gets reflected. Right, so part two of the problem, if there's a 1.1 kilohertz sound being emitted by the wall, what frequency does the cop hear if he's moving towards the wall at 30 meters per second? And that frequency is what I called F2. That's the second frequency that the cop hears. Okay, so again, it's a Doppler shift. So I can start with my general Doppler shift formula. This time, I'm going to plug in F wall as the frequency that I'm considering. What is the speed of the wall? Yeah, so the wall is the source here. The speed of the listener is, the listener is the car, or in the car, moving at 30 meters per second. And is that positive or negative? Positive. It's positive, why? We know it should be an upshift in the frequency. And since that's in the numerator, it has to be positive in order to make the, uh, the Doppler shifted frequency larger. So I just have to evaluate this. That works out to be about 1.2 kilohertz. So it gets about a 10% shift. Basically what's happening is the car is moving at about 10% of the speed of sound. So there's about a 10% Doppler shift at the wall, there's another 10% Doppler shift when the sound gets reflected back. So the beat frequency, which is what I'm after, is 1.2 kilohertz minus 1 kilohertz, or about 200 hertz. In reality, the two frequencies differ by about 200 hertz. We'd probably hear them as two separate sounds. We wouldn't interpret them as a single sound getting louder and quieter. Okay, right? We already saw that. But nevertheless, we can calculate that the beat frequency is 200 hertz. How many people have seen a problem like this in the last couple days? Okay. Just curious. OK, so in summary, sound waves obey the principle of superposition. You have more than one sound wave, they add up. Um, because we have stereos and surround sound systems, that's a pretty common uh, phenomena that we have to consider. Um, if the sound waves add up so, such that they all 
are having peaks and valleys at the same time. We get constructive interference. That happens when the path length difference to the two sources of sound is an integer number of wavelengths. They can add up destructively and cancel out if the path length difference is some half integer number, or some integer number plus a half wavelengths. So that the crests of one interfere with the, the valleys of the other. If we have multiple waves of different frequency, then they will add up constructively and destructively at different times as they drift in and out of phase. And that phenomenon we call beating. And the beat frequency is how we quantify that. It's how many times per second the sound gets louder and quieter. And then we saw the Doppler shift, which is when you have a moving source or a moving listener. When the source and listener are getting relatively closer together, the frequency observed goes up. When they're moving apart, the frequency observed goes down. Okay, so we saw this for sound. It happens for other forms of waves as well. Radio waves, for example, are used to measure the velocity of moving air fronts. Um, that's your Doppler radar. Right, so um, what's today? Today is Monday? Okay, so we have Wednesday. We're going to do a review of the material that's on the midterm. So that's 13 to 16. Then we'll have the midterm next Monday. And then Wednesday is our last day of class. We'll review everything up to chapter 13 on that day. Final, I want to say it's the 12th. It's like a Tuesday. Six, no, the 16th. 16th.